Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brandeis University, welcome to Recall This Book, another installment in our Books in Dark Times series. I'm John Plotz, and my guest today is nobody because it's me and Elizabeth Ferry together as co-hosts. So, Elizabeth, welcome. Um, And you can say welcome to me, I guess. Um, So anyway, so I'll just say the series takes its inspiration from Hannah Arendt's Men in Dark Times, which proposes that even in the darkest times, we have a right to expect some illumination and that such illumination may well come less from theories and concepts, no offense, anthropology, than from the uncertain flickering and often weak light that some men and women in their lives and their works, books, will kindle under almost all circumstances. So at this dark moment, the idea is you're having- Lives and works is also the topic of anthropology. Oh, lives and works is, okay, that's fine. It's just, (laughs) uh, yeah, but uh, all right, I'll give you that. But you guys have theories and concepts. Yeah, so do you. Yeah, so do we, it's true. Okay, so the point of the series um, is that we really wanna know what brings people, um, like you, dear listener, comfort or joy. And there are lots of ways, which you can see on our website, for you to tweet or Instagram or just generally shout out at us the books that you're thinking about. But um, Elizabeth, so I've had a couple of these conversations already, but I've been really looking forward to just the two of us sitting down together and talking. So yes. can I just, can I, can we just start off with those questions? Um, yes. People have already kind of heard me bloviating about books I like. So the questions are, you know, books that give you comfort and why, and books that give you joy and why. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, generally speaking, as somebody who uh, studied English literature in school and I come from a background of English professors and and yet I didn't go into literature as my academic path, mm-hmm. uh, partly because I felt like reading novels in particular gave me so much comfort and so much of a kind uh-huh. of escape that I didn't, I felt like I might mess that up if I made it too much part of my profession. Yes, um, so that's that the, one of the reasons why I- that, That's the theoretical principle known as don't shit where you eat. Mm-hmm. That, really, that really speaks to me. And, and I've been kind of indulging that in the current times. Although, you know, I, we call this books in dark times. I, I, for me, they haven't been so dark yet, except for like worrying about other people. So I, I'm yeah. hoping that in a couple of months, that's not gonna feel like a laughably <laughs> innocent thing to call it, but we'll see. But uh, so I guess I have two things I wanted to talk about. And the first one is the, the book that maybe surprisingly has brought me a lot of comfort was the book that lots of people I'm sure thought about reading that I had never read and, and, and 
now have read in its entirety, which is Daniel Defoe's A Journal of the Plague Year. Oh, I thought you were going to say um, Donald J. Trump's The Art of the Deal. Okay, good. Yes. There um, you go. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> which also yeah. has come up a lot, but I have no desire to read. <laughs> um, um, okay. Um, so, and would great. not be comforting, I don't think. No. Uh, okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to step on your line there. Jur yes, Journal of the Plague Year. It's been mentioned by a couple of other people already, too. So that's, But nobody's yeah. read it, in fact. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people have read parts of it. It's the sort of thing that like you get assigned in college a few uh, 20 pages of or so. And to be perfectly honest, you could read just 20 pages and you would get the idea. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of repetitive. But um, so it was written um, by Daniel Defoe. It was um, published in, sorry, I'm just looking it up. When was it published? 17 something, but it's about 1664. Yeah, the great, um, the great London plague, which preceded the great, the great London, London plague, yeah. which was the year before the great London fire, right? Yes, two years, um, I think. And it's written, um, it's, it's in a sense probably a, a fiction in the, because uh, Defoe is actually only about five years old at the time and it's written yeah. from the perspective of an adult. Yeah, written um, in 1722, so 60, 60 years after. Right, right. So, um, and it's written as if it were from the perspective of a um, of an adult living through the plague. The the wait, uh, Elizabeth. One of the things I remember, and this is such a wonky English professor thing to remember, but I remember it being written in an oddly impersonal voice. Right. So you say it's from a perspective, but isn't it isn't it kind of a shifting perspective, a little bit like Joseph Conrad? No, it is a it is very documentary though, right? And it's uh -huh. sort of. Um, so one of the things that I like about it is is that the character, the narrator, is he keeps kind of he can't stay inside. He's really stir crazy. Huh. You know, he recognizes uh -huh. that he's yeah. um, putting himself in danger, and his brother leaves and his town, and his brother invites him to go, but he decides not to, and then it's kind of yeah. too late. But he's a really documentary mind, and I think like we can see that also from. Robinson Crusoe, right? Like it has yeah. that same sort of like um, very yes. detailed sort of documentary, you could call it ethnographic sensibility. Right. Um, and, but it also has these kind of interestingly personal moments. So like there's this one part that he talks about of his, I, I took a few sentences that I thought were interesting. So, okay, so he, he goes outside and then he gets freaked out by a lot of stuff that is objectively freaky and dead carts and everything. Mm -hmm. He says, terrified by those frightful objects, I would retire home sometimes and resolve to go out no more. And perhaps I would keep those resolutions for three or four days. Wow. The time I spent in the most serious thankfulness for my preservation and the preservation of my family, such intervals as I had, I employed in reading books and in writing down my memorandums of what occurred to me every day and out of which afterwards I took most of this work as it relates to my observations without doors. What I wrote of my private meditations, I reserve for private use and desire it may not be made public on any account, whatever. Wow. So that was, so one thing is this, wait, you know, So wait, can we just, can we just stick with Robinson Crusoe for a second? I mean, with the connection, because I, I do think that, I think Journal of the Plague Year, I mean, I read it a long time ago, but it made a huge impact on me, but I never thought about that connection of how they were in a like predicament. And there is this line mm. about when his father, do you remember the beginning of Robinson Crusoe? His father does not want him to go away to sea. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The failure, oh shit, I'm not gonna be able to find it right now. 
he said that it's basically, I think he's actually quoting Pascal or something. And he says mm -hmm. that the, the, the failure, all, all men's misery stems from their inability to stay in their room by themselves. Oh, it's so perfect. Basically like <laughs> being a being, staying in your room is what will save you. And it would have saved Robinson Crusoe from going to sea and getting shipwrecked. Right. But in the Journal of the Plague here, it's the same thing, right? He knows that if he just sits at home, he's much safer. But he, but he cannot, can't. he can't do it. He's too, um, and it's partly that he's, he's bored, but he's also um, really interested. Like there's all these parts in it where he's like, I went, I couldn't like stop myself and I went to look at the dead cart or I couldn't, I went to ask these people about, you know, the watchman and so on. Um, but so what has been really interesting and weirdly comforting about the book is partly um, the kind of obvious thing that um, we, it's, you know, COVID-19 is not nearly as bad as the bubonic plague um, in a lot of ways, right? Like it's a, it's less deadly, right? It's a lot less gross um, right. and, you know, painful and horrible, right? So there's something weirdly comforting about reading that. Um, and then right. there's something weirdly comforting about the common situation, some of the commonality. So that's like a way in which the difference is comforting, right? That Yeah. I'm, thank goodness it's not the bubonic plague, right? And yeah, thank goodness yeah. it's not 1660. Um, and, um, but then there's like, for instance, there's all this really interesting passages about the daily counts of the dead and the weekly counts of the dead wow. and how things get yeah. um, categorized in whether they get categorized as the plague or yeah. as something else. Yeah. And yeah. how different districts are kind of sometimes being forthcoming and sometimes hiding the information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's all really fascinating. Um, well, that's, then, I mean, that's Catherine Gallagher's whole argument about the rise of fictionality in the 18th century is the rise of basically accountancy, speculation, mm -hmm. disbelief, and credit, she says. That makes both yeah. fiction and fiscal practices run. Yeah, 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 so, exactly. That yeah. makes perfect, yeah. Um, and then, um, all of this kind of debating what is the right thing to do and particularly this thing of like shutting houses. So what they would, what they would do is they would, if there was any account of a plague in a house, they would immediately shut down the house. Every, no one in it could leave. Yeah. They would assign a watchman, one watchman by day and one watchman by night who right. was supposed to both prevent them from leaving, right. but also run errands for them. Oh so my they God! Would like yeah. yell out the window and tell them to go get stuff and like throw money at yeah. them to go get stuff and, that, and bring it that, And that is the role that is now played by surveilling people's cell phones, right? Is that like, exactly. Yeah. Yes, and drone will be played by drones. Drones, so. no doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that um, was really fascinating. And then just yeah. this whole thing about like, was that the right thing to do? And should they have instead removed people to separate? You know equivalent right. to what we're talking about with like setting up oh my gyms God. or other places. Wow. It's really interesting. Wow. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. And so then it's shelter like, in place, it's contact tracing. It's yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Social exactly. distancing. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, can I coming back to the point about like whether what we're finding like whether what is comforting is the discrepancies or the analogies. So we I had a conversation with Carlo. This guy Carlo no. Rotella was talking about Icelandic sagas. And mm. I think he had kind of a double, similar doubleness to what you said. He said, on the one hand, I like things that are really distant. 
On the other hand, the thing that's comforting to me about the sagas is that there's all of this slaughter and misery. I mean, like 400 right. people are constantly dying because somebody set their meat hall ablaze in the middle of the night, but they handle it with kind of stoic good humor and mordant <laughs> aplomb and they like, you know, write a verse about their dead relatives or something. So right. it, it, which part of it is the, which part of it is the source of reassurance for you? Is it that that ain't us or is it, well, that is us and look at how I think survive. it's more that is us mm. in a way, partly because I feel like, I mean, I think one of the things that's so kind of disturbing for me and I think many people about sort of the current moment is there's this kind of feeling that we've sort of become so attenuated from our physicality and our kind of groundedness in, you know, on the planet to the point of actually destroying ourselves in the planet. Yeah. And that we're sort of like cut off from some sort of sense of what it means to be human or that what it means to yeah. be human might be changing so drastically that there's no knowing what will happen, right? I'm not saying, I'm not arguing in favor of this. I'm just saying this is like an affective experience, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's yeah. something about this that makes you feel like, oh, okay, well, you know, sucks to be human and periodically like these things happen yeah. and they're intensely physical and rooted in our the nature right. of our species and there yeah. are these patterned responses right like there are these yeah. ways in which i can see that people in the 17th century were responding that look a lot like what people in the 21st yeah. century so yeah. i feel more rooted to human history or something yeah no that's a really good point i i have a reaction to it also which is related to um you know, Elizabeth, you and I have talked about how we, you know, we're lucky enough to have come from families where for a couple generations back, people have had these solid middle-class jobs in America. And mm -hmm. sure. in my family, a lot of that involves being doctors, you know? Mm -hmm. And my mom is a professor. My dad is, a, my mom was a professor. My dad was a doctor. And I think of those as similar in that they are rooted in, I mean, of course they are about service and connection and education, but they're also jobs that are protected by being within this world of things that people do when they've attained kind of enough education to give them right. the status to do this. But being sure. a doctor, I have, I think there are seven doctors on our block and they're in a totally different situation from me right now right. because they are, right. each one of them is going to the hospital every day they yep. do not have the luxury of deciding whether they want to do a shift at the Brookline Food Pantry or not. No. Like, yeah that their education has put them in the position where they are like putting their hands on people and, you know, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're bottled. completely on call and the, yeah. you know. Yeah, so you and I can do what we do very easily with Microsoft Word markup function and some video <laughs> lectures. Or not easily, but we can right, do it. Right, and, right, and we, know, can, we can be, you know, uh, staging these conversations about yeah. books and dark times. Yeah, than, and when I like when I examine a, a loose end that needs diagnosing, like I'm talking about somebody's sentence, but I have these friends <laughs> who are talking about like a wayward cell, and that's what they're right. looking for. And that's yeah, I think it's it's good to be awoken to that. This is not necessarily the medium I would have chosen to to be made aware of that. To be sure. made aware of that, yeah. I mean, again, it makes right. me but think of a book. Yeah, it makes me think of the machine stops again, you know, just that point where mm -hmm. Ian Forster really pursues that logic of what would happen if we could follow our desire to be totally cerebral and totally creatures right. of our mind and our ideas and our words. And then what do you do when things start falling down? You have no idea how to fix them, you know? You right, can't, exactly. You can't even get out of your hexagonal chamber because you don't know how the door works. Yeah. yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. That's so. a good point. Okay. So that's one of your books, but you had others, right? So I had others. This is something, and I, I actually have returned to this recently. I read a couple of the books again, partly because I was, I was looking for comfort. Oh my God. Um, it's going to be Trollope again. Okay. Yeah. It is going to be Trollope. Oh my God. No! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to talk about Elizabeth, Trollope. Elizabeth, you Trollope. All right. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> go, I, go, go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like a couple of years ago, I read 47, I think out of 47 novels of Trollope in a row. Wow. And um, wow. it was a great experience. Wow. I won't say they're all equally good, to say the least. You better not say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I will also say that once you get in, by the time I got around number 35 or so, it was a little bit more like, okay, well, now I'm going to there was some extrinsic motivation rather than intrinsic I motivation. I see. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, you were just trying but, to level up at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I think what I think gives me a particular comfort is, you know, there's these incredibly kind of gripping and, you know, the stakes feel incredibly high and their people are really caught up in them and their issues that I like, for instance, the issue of whether what one's commitment is to the, to the Church of England, right? Or how one marries or other kinds of things that are, are um, so um, absorbing and of such huge importance to the characters, yet I don't think they're that important. They're so gripped by these things that, that, and they feel like, you know, if it doesn't go their way or it doesn't go the right way, the world will end. But from my point of view, I can see that the world continued or that the fact of it, the rise of dissenting churches or the particular facts of the role of fox hunting or yeah. other things, that they went a certain way and the world went on and it was okay. And that gives me a certain comfort for the things that I am extremely anxious about. Yes, I get it. Life uninterrupted elsewhere. That makes sense to me. But also just to say that the central claim you're making here is the pleasure of Trollope in terms of the deploying a world elsewhere that can be kind of engaging yeah. enough that every cylinder is sort of working as you encounter it. Yes, yes. Okay, so can I ask you that, can I pivot and ask you the childhood question, which would be to think about like yeah. either either childhood books or books that, you know, because I know you've you know, just shepherded two kids through childhood. So mm -hmm. books that you rediscovered with your kids or books that you want to sure. go back to now. Yeah. So a couple of them come to mind. One of them we brought up and you and you pointed out there it's incredible nativism. And oh. I actually had gone back recently to it did it did turn me into an anthropologist of mining, which was how green was my valley. Oh my God. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It is it is it is an incredible nativist book. And also I tried to what I tried to listen to it on tape with my kids. Yeah. A couple of years ago yeah and it's like i mean we got it, we got pretty far but then yeah. there's this like description which i'm sure i did not understand at the time i was reading it but it's this like incredibly overheated sort of egocentric description of his first boner oh. <laughs> <laughs> i was like i'm sure i do not remember this and did not know what was going on when I read it before. Well, um, as long as it wasn't a nativist boner, I don't object to right. that. Right, okay. and yet it probably was even. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's something very like, yeah, distasteful about the description and it's kind uh -huh. of like egomania. But- uh, oh, God, I love the TV show too. I have such fond memories of the TV Oh, show. I never saw, I remember the movie and loving the movie. 
And I oh, remember. No, no, it was. I'm sorry. I'm totally wrong. It was the movie. It was the movie. The movie was yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. It was the movie. Do you remember? There's one of the things that I really stuck in my mind about it is the description when he finally gets is he sort of convinces his family to let him go to school, and he gets a pencil box. And there's this description of the pencil box, which is so satisfying. And it's sort of about huh. all the little compartments that everything is in and the little colors of the colored pencils. Aww. And oh. it really stuck in my mind. And I, there's something about its like littleness and neatness, but yeah. also the differences of the colors. Yeah. And then he's- Portable you know, property, man. That's his ticket out of there. Exactly. But then it's destroyed. It gets, it gets yeah. smashed by this like, you know, kid who thinks this is like yeah. a poor minor guy who who's bullying him and so yeah. they, this is this very traumatic moment but oh. the description of the it's a little bit like and this maybe leads me to another book that was very formative for me um there's a description in little women of their christmas presents and uh -huh. they get each of them gets a different book and they're each with a different color ribbon and i've always liked things that are like the same but the color is different uh-huh yeah. And I, that also was a description that really stuck in my mind. So those oh, are two, you know, because I got to that point, as many people do at that age, where it's like I ran out of the stuff I knew that I really loved. And so yeah. I was kind of like frantically searching for things right. that I thought might scratch that particular. I know. And it's funny how that works, because you go in directions. It's like you, you've been in a nice pond that you totally like. And then you know there's kind of a lake out there somewhere. So like a kind of lungfish, you sort of galump yourself out in various directions. Yeah. But often you just kind of hit shallow water and then turn around and go back. And then randomly, some direction that's right. probably no better than any of the other directions just leads you where you want to go. Like where suddenly there, there's like, oh my God, I have a new, one. yeah. And I, I yeah. used to, and I still do this, I guess, as evidenced by the trollop. It's like, once I find one, I would just read all of them. Yeah. With sometimes with uneven results, but. Yeah, well that's okay. So, well, that's another point about books in dark times, maybe, because I think I tend to read things more unevenly. Like I like mm -hmm. to kind of, and maybe I'm trying for something more symphonic, like I'm trying to jump from one instrument to another instrument to another yeah. instrument, because I like to read different books in succession. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. See, I think this, I mean, this maybe comes back to the question about why I became, didn't become an English professor. It's, yeah. Like for me, it's like, it has a very much more of a kind of thumb sucking quality. Than, right. It's a bowl of, it's like a bowl of ice cream. And like, why yes. wouldn't you have another bowl? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, um, I get like that. There's something sort of like, a little compulsive about it. No, I totally get that. And that's like, I think I, you know, I was saying this to Alex, it's like uh, most English professors just eschew that side of things entirely. And they want to claim a more kind of, um, I don't know, either scientific or theological or like a satisfying difference that ensures hmm. them that their approach to the text is not comfort. It's more like this higher kind of aesthetic bliss. Right, but right. Or, more, sort of like or the, more intellectual or more. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually want to try to hold on to both at once. Like, that's why mm -hmm. the question of, like, is comfort and joy, like, are comfort and joy the same or distinct? That seems like a really interesting question to me. Because, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think you're wrong to take comfort, you know, repeated comfort. It's just like. No, yeah. but I, but, you know, what you're saying also makes me feel like maybe I did make the wrong right choice because I, mm. I, it wasn't so much that I feel that there's anything wrong with that, but I didn't want to be in a situation where other people would try to make me feel that way. 
So. Right. Well, of course, when I want comfort, I just go out into the field, Elizabeth. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you, when you want comfort, you just start measuring heads, don't you? <laughs> I do. I do, actually. Yeah, I use, I use sand. It's a very objective measure. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, rem remind me to tell you what I found about Newton resonance as opposed to Brookline resonance. It's very, <laughs> I think it's very revealing. I feel very confident about it. Right, right, yes. <laughs> Um, okay, dude. Well, thank you. This was okay, great. This okay, was great. So, do you want to read the credits or should I read them? Uh, I don't have them in front of me. You'd okay. have to send them to me, but... Okay. Uh, why don't I just do them? We'll okay. keep, it, keep it in one voice. Okay. So, um, thank you so much um, for listening. Recall this book is hosted by us, John Plotz and Elizabeth Ferry, with music by Eric Cheslow and Barbara Cassidy. Sound editing is by Claire Ogden, website design and social media by Kaliska Ross. We always want to hear from you with your comments, criticisms, and suggestions for future episodes. And especially in this case, we really want to hear about the books that are giving you joy. So think about emailing us at recallthisbookpod at gmail.com. And if you include an audio clip, we might include it in an upcoming podcast episode. And so you could look for us on Instagram, on Facebook, or on Twitter. And you can use the hashtag booksindarktimes to add a photo or a comment about a book you've turned to recently. So from all of us here at Recall This Book, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks.